here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. And we are back with the 700th episode of Keep It. Congratulations. Happy Equal Pay Day on the day we're recording this. Both of you have to give me all of your money now. That's how it works. Oh, okay. <laughs> on Keep It, we pay the white person less. Oh, it's fun, though. <laughs> Respect. I'm Ira. Kara. Lewis. With the S's again. Fucking S's. <laughs> Some big things happened this weekend. They did. All of them involving Cardi B. Ugh. Can I, I have a question about her. How is it taking me 31 years to hear a line like, grab my coins like Mario? I mean, like, <laughs> she had to invent that for us. By the way, how did it take me this long to realize that Mario loves money? That's what that game is about. <laughs> Technically, he's saving that princess who is always getting kidnapped. While getting rich along the way? It's really confusing. No, wait, that's the only way to do it. You get rich save the princess, and then you have something to offer her when you've saved her. A dowry. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Duh, Lewis. <laughs> wow. I mean, he's also going into tubes, so he's doing his job, too, which is plumbing while saving her. It's just very complicated. Lots of storylines. It's like the big sick. <laughs> Cardi released her debut album, Invasion of Privacy, this weekend, and it's kind of great. It's great, and can I say... I have been a Cardi fan since she was literally just a stripper who lived in the Bronx who had an Instagram account. I loved her. She was hilarious. I feel like I've gone on this journey with her. I feel like people were doubting her with this album. People thought like she was going to be a one-hit wonder. They thought Bodak Yellow was it. And then she came out with like this really fun album. It's like a party anthem. It's party. It's like thought bops. It's just, it feels like summer. It feels like twerking. It sounds like fun. She's also so funny. I mean, like, the lyrics are fabulous. And also, it's just, I think, kind of rare that, well, it's common that new talent emerges, but I think it's rare that a new genuine personality emerges, and she's just so unmistakable. She renders people before her almost irrelevant. It's that kind of feeling. Right. She's so new and happening. Right. And like when people get pressed about like her personality, I'm just like, she's being herself. Right. And it's fun. I mean, they have the same issues with Tiffany Haddish at times. Right. But like at least Cardi isn't spilling Beyonce's business. <laughs> everywhere Not yet. So she, she has name dropped a couple of times in the album. So I feel like that's in her future. Three, if you say Beyonce's name three times on your album, she will gift you a feature. <laughs> oh my god, a Cardi Beyonce? Because you know Beyonce heard that album and was feeling it. You know they're both at Coachella this weekend. Ugh. Where I will be. Oh god. Really? Anyway, yes. Cardi's other news this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's also pregnant. She's a baby. She confirmed her pregnancy with a Beyonce-style reveal mm -hmm. on live TV on SNL. Mm -hmm. and Great performance on SNL, by the way. It was also a really good performance. I used to actually not like that song. Her song, Be Careful, which samples Lauryn Hill's X Factor. But it was a really good, like, emotional performance. I thought she really sold it. She was great. And also, she's been giving some interviews now that she's out and pregnant. And to all of you people, just as a PSA, anyone who's about to interview her, people keep asking her, like, how are you going to be a mom and a rapper and a career woman? It's like she's a millionaire, which she said herself. She's like, I'm going to say this in the most humble way possible. I'm a millionaire. And so because of that, <laughs> she doesn't have to deal with the shit that the rest of you people have to deal with and stop asking her about it. Also, clearly she has the time to wiki presidential trivia, which is her favorite thing. So she'll have time to parent a kid. It's just simple. If you read that GQ profile, she just talked about yeah. FDR for like 30 minutes. Katie Weaver with another one. Coming God, off her. of her, her Tiffany Haddish bombshell interview. It was so good. I mean, also, there's a review of Cardi's album in GQ Today written by yours truly. Not oh, that I want to spill any promo. <laughs> Never. Uh, <laughs> my final thought on Cardi B is an early extra bonus keep it. Well. John Lovett. 
Now, who's that? Host of <laughs> Love It or Leave It, if you've heard of it, met Cardi B this weekend in Miami, took a f- selfie with her, did not know who she was. Banish to the gulag. <laughs> How do you not know who Cardi B is, John? Also, I'm going to say it. She's pretty unmistakable looking in appearance and demeanor. The great thing is the photo. He just looks so... Right. Akila Hughes took it. <laughs> and um, Akila's there and Cardi's there with her like... John looks like he was just airdropped in to that photo. <laughs> like... <laughs> I bet Tommy knows who Cardi B is. Uh, our number one fan. Our number one fan. If you're listening to this, Tommy... Thanks for everything. We love you. <laughs> Coming up on Keep It This Week, we will be discussing Jimmy Kimmel and Chelsea Handler's bad tweets. We'll also dive into The Simpsons and their racism problem. And we'll have a conversation with Kay Cannon, director of the new movie Blockers. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Little, uh, I needed that little shot of positive energy because I had an interesting day. 
I woke up this morning early. I did two hours of Pilates, as I do every morning. I shampooed, I conditioned, and then I, um... I open my computer and find out I'm at war with Sean Hannity and Fox News. In what might possibly be the most annoying feud I have ever had to witness online, Jimmy Kimmel and Sean Hannity are fighting. And it's so sexy. I mean, (laughs) the tension, yeah. I guess they're fighting over the fact that Jimmy Kimmel was mocking Melania Trump on his show and Sean Hannity thought it was racist to make fun of her Slovenian accent. Did he say racist? Yes. No, he didn't. Yes. Okay. Yes. He said racist? Yes. Well, he's very conscious of this sort of thing. (laughs) Everybody gets treated equally with him, okay? Conscience, conscience, conscience. So they got to a back and forth, and basically Kimmel tweeted at him, when your clown makeup rubs off on Trump's ass, does it make his butt look like a creamsicle? And then he followed it up. That doesn't even make a ton of sense. Because what know. clown is in all orange? Is it all white makeup? Is it all? I don't get it. Creamsicles are gross to me. I'm a thin person. I don't really enjoy them. But um, <laughs> also, it's just, it's the kind of joke that would be in like, a 1987, you know, Porky's-esque type movie. Porky's is like 1980 anyway. I mean, anyway, 80s type Porky's, Porky 7. Right. RuPaul's Revenge. <laughs> yeah, it's just an old boys club type joke. He followed that up with, don't worry, just keep tweeting, you'll get back on top. Or does Trump prefer you on bottom? Which dovetails nicely with what Chelsea Handler said the same day. Yes, uh, the exact same day, Chelsea Handler, for some reason. Why are you here? um, Why are you here, Chelsea? I don't even know why she was tweeting this, um, but she tweeted, Jeff Sessions is definitely a bottom. And when she was called out, uh, out on it, she said, don't worry, I'm a bottom and proud of it. Well, let me tell you what straight people are especially proud of, knowing the terms top and bottom. They love bragging about that shit. They love being like, I'm in, I get it. One of you has to be higher than the other. Like, they love that. <laughs> they, they think they've like, they know the science of it. Yeah, uh, this reminds me of the time I interviewed Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell for the movie Get Hard. And I said, did you ever think the kind of prison rapiness of this movie felt a little bit dated in terms of a source of humor? And Kevin Hart said, funny is funny. And my response to that is, no. When something is funny, you have to ask, to whom and why? And in this case, it feels like these are jokes you make because you don't think gay people are in the room. You don't care if they hear. And you're making a crass attempt at edginess and not caring why the joke is actually funny when it's actually just alienating people who are right there on Twitter along with everybody else. Also, like, all of this over Melania. Like, Melania doesn't even care about Melania this much. (laughs) She's like... She just wants to run a bed and breakfast. Yeah, Melania does not care. I can't imagine why all of this would pop off because of her. Sean Hannity is completely unhinged. Like, it's almost, with Jimmy Kimmel, he's a pretty smart person. And so it's sort of like, you know better. Why are you fighting with a lunatic? Yeah. Like, there's just no way this ends well. You're not going to best him because he's so unhinged and so he does not reside in a world rooted in truth that there's just no way that you could possibly come out of this with a victory. It's just a waste of your time. Yeah, he's a dunk tank clown. I mean, like, you have the instinct, like, I'm going to go knock that dunk tank clown down. But it's like, don't even waste your dollar. Just walk right past that. (laughs) (laughs) And neither, none of your jokes were funny. On top of all of that, it's just like, it was a waste of your time. Melania does not care. And your jokes weren't funny. And Sean Hannity also decided to, like, dig up clips of the band show and tweet them out. And he referred to Jimmy Kimmel as Harvey Weinstein Jr. because of the misogynistic sketches. And I'm like, the man show was trash, yes, but these were also paid actresses. Yes. In these sketches. Also, you're on it's Fox not... News? Yes. Right. So, Roger right. Ailes is a person I remember. I mean, and obviously, it doesn't need to be said, but dumb sexist jokes are not the same as being a serial sexual assaulter. True. True. Should um, not need to say that, but you know, point. I'm going to say salient it. Salient point. But now we said it. <laughs> <laughs> um Lewis, why do you think, I mean, you've already said, you know, white liberal comedians, you know, like to do this sort of, we know, you know, like mm-hmm. what a top and a bottom is, you know, but like, why do we always seem to jump to gay jokes when it comes to attacking conservatives? Is it because they hate gay people? 
And I they're guess. like, that's what people always try to claim. Right, no. I think they mistake what is funny about it. Well, I mean, Mike Pence gets this kind of joke said about him all the time. You know what I mean? Like, well, he's secretly... You know, loves it in the ass is his big secret. It's like, it better not be because I hate him. And I was just thinking, (laughs) I mean, gay sex to me is better than the lives of all of these conservatives. So even associating them with that act is just pretty horrible. You know, you think you're exposing their hypocrisy with this joke, but really you're saying there's something immediately funny about the act of gay sex. It's a joke that only works because of stigma attached to gay sex. Also, what gay person would have spent the Olympics week feuding with Adam Rippon? Right. No, precisely. We want him to do his thing. Um, Wear those pants. Anyway, Jimmy Kimmel apologized for his joke. And of course, Uh, by the way, I hate the obligation to point out, of course we love Jimmy Kimmel. He's a good Oscars host. He is a big fan of Liz Fair, so he's always in my corner. But it's just like people- I like him, you know? And there's always this idea that when we critique people's jokes, that it's like, you don't get the joke, like or I, no like Michael Che always like has a meltdown whenever anybody's like, "You're not funny," and it's like, "I'm a comedian. You don't know what I'm doing." I'm like, mm, "You're just telling bad jokes." Right. Right. Well, people are very protective over the egos of male comedians. I think it's like everybody senses somewhat that they are thin-skinned secretly. And I think people are defending that, not the joke itself. I think also with Jimmy Kimmel, like we can say, hey, that was a dumb, bad joke. No one is saying that you're canceled. No one is saying that all of the other work that you've been doing and things that you've been saying and and things like that are irrelevant now and that we think you're a bad person. It's just like your joke was dumb and stupid apologize and move on. That's all it takes. And I think they just get so like verklempt when you don't like their joke as opposed to like we will say or write things all the time that people don't necessarily like. That doesn't invalidate your entire career and who you are. Also, we're living in an age where half the country proudly doesn't want to listen to people speaking their truths, etc. So when there are people who seem like they are capable of listening, we take advantage of that. And Jimmy Kimmel is one of those people. You know, I just want to speak my truth at all times. You know, I would make this a Knott's Landing podcast if I could, I, but I can't. I was going to say that I found that brave, but now it's sad. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, <laughs> speaking of people and bad jokes, The Simpsons. Ooh. Now in its 774th season. <laughs> I didn't realize that in when this story, with this story popping up, that they've been making The Simpsons for 30 years. Yeah. It seems just insane. No, it's like we used to be like, ooh, gun smoke. Remember when that lasted 20 years? This is now like 50% more. It's we re- used to be like that. Okay, some of us think in terms of almanac stats. Okay, <laughs> let it go. Loved watching gun smoke <laughs> right, <laughs> right after the practice. Yeah. <laughs> so comedian Hurry Kondabalu, five months ago, mind you, made a documentary, The Problem with Apu. And he talked about how the Indian character on The Simpsons was, you know, had a bad stereotypical accent as voiced by Hank Azaria, and that they often resorted to dumb stereotypes when using him in the show. Thought that was over. The Simpsons, like, (laughs) never addressed it until this week they had Marge Simpson and Lisa address it while Marge read Lisa a problematic and dated children's book. Well, what am I supposed to do? It's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Some things will be dealt with at a later date. If at all. And they just like stare at the and then camera. they what they what you what you don't see because this is a podcast is they uh then cut to a picture of a poo with like don't have a cow written on it Bart Simpson's phrase. There's something particularly sheepish about putting this in the mouth of Lisa, Lisa. Simpson, who's like the voice of reason. I think W. Kamau Bell said something about this too. It's just if you'd put that in the mouth of any other character, it could almost be seen as like a silly joke. But coming from her, it seems like a sincere take, and it's not a good enough take for that. The other thing is, and Hari talked about this in interviews and I think in the film as well, but he tried to interview Hank Azaria and it was this really long, like the movie ended up getting delayed because he was waiting to try to get Hank in the movie and he didn't want to be in the documentary. He was worried about editing and his words being misconstrued. So they had agreed to go, I think, Mark Maron's podcast or another, you know, sort of live 
show and have the discussion and then Hank dropped out. So they weren't willing to address it in sort of an even playing field. The only way they'd even address it is totally on their own show, which just feels really sheepish and cowardly. Yeah. And then putting it in Lisa's voice and framing it in that way too, like something that was, here's the thing too that W. Kamal Bell brought up. Something that was fine decades ago. It's like, first of all, bitch, it wasn't fine decades right, ago. Right. Anybody like, who thinks were, about it for two seconds can understand there's like, something the matter with that. Yeah. He Someone talks about saw it. that as a child and yes. was like, I don't like this. All of those South Asian actors and comedians and performers in the documentary were like, yo, I hated this when I was a child. But Twitter didn't exist then. Right. You know, and they didn't or they didn't have the money to make like a documentary about it, you know? And so you didn't hear about it. Like, it's a, it's that's a, that's what always happens yeah. with these things, you know? People always try to come up with the argument, well, why weren't you mad about this before? And it's like, the people who were mad about it did not have the tools to tell you that they were mad about it. And let's say people weren't mad about it. There's something called progress, people. <laughs> people weren't mad about slavery at the time. They were chill with Some people were chill with it, and we progressed as a society. So this knee-jerk reaction to just the times moving forward and it's like your show has been on for 30 years did you really think it would just everything would stand it would all stand the test of time like you were a sort of edgy comedy did you think that nothing you said at any point would be like hey we can look back at that now and say it was a different time you know it it wasn't necessarily appropriate then but it very much so is not appropriate now like that's the other thing that's all it takes and for these people to just have the reactions that they have and not just say just apologize and and know that it doesn't mean The Simpsons is a bad television show. It's like I can look back at Breakfast at Tiffany's and say, wow, that Andy Rooney character is disgusting and a horrific, awful, racist stereotype. Mickey Rooney, but Andy Rooney Rooney. would do the same thing. Mickey, oh, there you go. Um, The band Rooney would do the same thing. That's right. Rooney Mara, she'd get right up in there. But I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. Like, I'm able to hold both of those thoughts at one time and for some reason I think it's maybe that you have a bunch of these straight white men who have never had to have they've never had to engage with art and say wow that's kind of homophobic that's kind of sexist that's kind of racist but there's only so much art in the world and this what's being made and so I kind of have to reconcile that and say I like problematic things and I can also recognize that they're problematic I think that that's not an experience that they've ever had to have and so when people are bringing that up it it does not compute to them well and most simpsons writers you know throughout history have been from harvard um they all wrote in harvard lampoon and the thing about these people in the 90s is that you know they were liberals and they were you know sort of trying to be on the right side of history you know like with the homer's phobia episode you know where he thinks bart might be gay i mean it's kind of dated now but I remember it being sweet when I first saw it, you know, like as a gay kid. But now you have sort of this thing where The Simpsons has been on for 30 years and they haven't been, you know, refreshing the room with new talent every season, which means that you have the same people who 30 years ago were progressive in the 90s aren't progressive, you know, in 2018 because they haven't had to be. They've gotten rich off The Simpsons, and now they only hang out with other rich, white industry people in Los Angeles, you know? It's the same thing of when The X-Files came back, and I remember last year I critiqued an episode that Shangela was in because they just had, like, a weird depiction and descriptions of what a trans person was, and, like, Mulder made some bad joke about trans surgery. It was like, of course these people writing the X-Files have no idea how to describe transgender people because they were white writers in the 90s writing the show and then they all came back to write it in 2016 and they had no contact with any of this stuff before now. Yeah, I mean, all it would have taken was an apology. (laughs) And Hari actually had, they had asked him at one point, you know, what would you have changed now about The Simpsons? And he gave a really thoughtful response. And he talked about another Indian family maybe coming to the neighborhood. He talked about Apu's children maybe going to school with Bart and Lisa. Like, he clearly had thought about this in a real way. The respect that he gave Mm -hmm. that show 
even while he was critiquing it, they couldn't really give him that same respect when he's approaching them with a very valid critique. And it's just sad. And it's like, just set your ego aside for two seconds and listen to what people are saying to you. The fact that part of the response that Lisa Simpson gives is, what can you do? When the answer is a couple of things, like, <laughs> like there's concrete things you can do is very, very strange. And the other interesting thing was in that documentary, you had almost every single famous South Asian person in Hollywood. Like, it was crazy. And so when you have all of these people- Was Padma in it? I don't know if Padma was in it. God, I love her. I mean, she was great, great on Drag Race. I mean, she probably, maybe she just wasn't asked. Or but... maybe she'll tell the Timpsons to pack their knives and go. But you had, you know, you had so many people who clearly love comedy and love television and love entertainment and who were just- all having the same response to this character. And it's like, that's a sign that's telling you something. Just, these are your peers. Listen to these people. And here's the idea. Maybe hire one of them. <laughs> like, what Hari said about Apu is like, one, there've been episodes that actually delve into Apu's character that haven't been problematic. But you know, like, if you going forward, you know, just like want to keep the character, how about, you have anyone South Asian on the show to write for the character, to revoice it. I mean, it's just, I don't know why these things never like occur to people. X Files, yeah. like, he hire some new writers. Yeah. Like, a lot of these comedy institutions, like, we forget to inspect, I mean, just how open they've been to people of color. David Letterman, for 33 years, didn't have a single writer of color on his show. Yeah. I mean, people don't know that. And that's, a, that would be a we glaring thing. We constantly address yeah. new shows and like, the cast and like in diversity in Hollywood, it's always sort of like, is the person who created it diverse? And then like, is the cast diverse? And then you never really look at like, oh, what's this writing staff? And then you forget that when you have these long lists of like writing staffs that only have white men on them and like maybe one or two women, these are the shows that have been on the air for years, yeah, you know, yeah. and like no one's inspecting them anymore. Like right. no one's like, I don't even know what the makeup of like the Law and Order SVU room is. Well, I think now too, when a show deals with certain topics in a really smart way, every single time it is because that was a diverse writer's room. And so I think it's, like you said, it's something that we do think about with new shows and we're very aware of it. And and we're only really aware of it when they handle things really, really well or really, really poorly. And like it should be thought about at all times because you shouldn't have to wait for them to mess up to say, oh, why was that storyline written by all dudes? It should be something that we're thinking about all the time with the work that we're consuming. So what should we do with Apu now? I mean, I don't think Hank Azaria should still be voicing this. Something about that feels like the most uncomfortable part of this, that he's doing this accent even SNL has stopped trotting out Fred Armisen to be every race Miss Swan has been long retired on yeah. that TV. And he, I think he apologized. He had some statement either around when the documentary came out or recently where he said he sort of acknowledged it was a different time or whatever. And, and he apologizes if that made people uncomfortable, if they're offended by it. But that's the other thing where an apology would have been very easy. An actual action item would be even better. And getting literally anyone else to voice that character would be a really great start. Emma Stone. Oh, sure. <laughs> but not as Asian. I mean, like, get a little bit of whiteness in there. Mm. Tilda. Right. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> and when we're back, we're joined by Kay Cannon, director of the movie Blockers. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years... McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, 
It's gonna be great. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. And we're back. Joined by Kay Cannon, director of the movie Blockers. It's about three parents who stumble across their daughter's pact to lose their virginity on prom night. It's in theaters now. Everyone should see it. She's also the queen of the Pitch Perfect franchise, too, which is, which is, I hear, popular. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) That's I've gone well for you, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did the junk- of them. Yeah. I, I did the press junkets for all three of those. Those cast members are so delighted to talk about those movies. They always they always seem like they had the best time because they they're like best friends, and it was just like uh, the perfect age for them to all come together. Like it was for them, it was six years of yeah. their lives. So it's like their twenties, basically. Yeah. Working on those movies, and and they just love each other. With blockers, very few women have ever directed. R-rated comedies. Do you think that women, you know, bring like an inherently different take to the comedy that we need to see now? Well, actually, it's like um, there's still very few women who've directed a rated R comedy, but there's even fewer that have done an, a rated R studio release comedy. Okay. Like that, they're just not studios aren't trusting mm-hmm. so much to give you know like a bigger budget movie to ladies for some reason. We're not um, trustworthy, so that's but why. But we shouldn't be trustworthy. Yeah. Women should never be trusted. I think it's no reason in particular. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> There's definitely not a difference right. at all. <laughs> but it's really about, like, it's been a man's game. Like, the idea of a raunchy comedy mm-hmm. has been a man's game. And I think with Blockers, what I tried to do was, as a, a lady in comedy, I've been in comedy for over, you know, for like a dozen years now. I think raunch and stuff... Like, that is funny. I laugh at that. I enjoy that. And I also feel like I have, a, from my female perspective, what my experience was growing up, you know, losing my virginity. And that's what the movie's about, by the way, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's like three high schoolers make a pact to lose their virginity on prom night. Yeah, like, I feel like we have a different take that hasn't been served yet story-wise. Like, it's an underserved story. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to be a part of finally telling that story. No, I was very excited about the fact that Taking, you know, sort of the raunchy teen sex comedy from a woman's perspective made it somehow less exploitative. It didn't feel like a Porky's. It didn't feel like a, you know, Revenge of the Nerds. Like it felt, you know, like these were real characters. Yeah, because the women aren't objects of desire in the movie. They're the ones making all the choices and Mm -hmm. having control over their own bodies. And their dates are really respectful of them. And it's more about just how they are as friends, why they're choosing to lose their virginity. It's not like guys peering through a locker room at a bunch of naked girls running around, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) And many of these films, you know, um, like the Porkies, um, like um, You ever seen Zapped with Scott Baio? That's the worst one moving on, though. I've seen that. I have not seen that movie. I have never even heard of this movie. It's a a movie from... Of course you haven't. Lewis is bringing it up. (laughs) (laughs) It's from around the time of Porkies, and he gets like... You know, there's an accident in a laboratory, and now he can like point at girls and their tops fly off. It's like the it's um what? it's I would call it a he rape got comedy. Zapped. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Well, anyway, it don't turns look it out up. Scott Bayo's a real great guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm surprised. By I know, that. I know. <laughs> Revelatory take, Scott Bayo. Problems. It's it probably his pitch. Yeah, right. No joke. He's <laughs> like, I was doing this over the weekend. Yeah, and <laughs> might be a good movie. Many films, you know, sort of portray um, their female characters as, you know, reactionary or powerless in them. And Blockers distinctly, you know, gives its female characters agency, gives them their own motivation Mm -hmm. for losing their virginity um, on prom night. And can you just talk us through how you approached this film in terms of, you know, wanting to give us teenage girls that we haven't seen before? I really wanted to show, like, real girls and I felt like the first draft I read it it was like a really great idea and I thought the script was super super funny but I felt like the women the young women were just interchangeable 
and it was more the parents' movie. And so I tried to attack the script by like, what can we, you know, myself and the other filmmakers, it was like, what can we do to give them very, you know, specificity and give them really specific story arcs? And I just thought about like myself growing up in high school, I had the same friends sat at the cafeteria, much like a table like this that we're at right now. And we just talked like how girls talk. We're very frank. We cussed. We talked about sex. I, I didn't learn anything about sex from my parents. <laughs> it was all from my friends. Small town, so we were having sex a lot earlier. <laughs> there was nothing to do but each other. And uh, I just wanted to show that. I wanted to show that this is how girls talk. And the reaction from the movie, they're like, wow, oh my gosh, you're really showing real girls. It's so revolutionary. And it's like, it isn't to me because I feel like, I'm sure you, when you yeah. talk to your girlfriends, it's like, this is how we talk. Like, yeah. You know, like we're not of the women of the 1950s that like sit and just eat salads and put right. makeup on before we go to bed and so that our husbands cannot see us without our yeah. faces on. You know, they're surprised, I think, when they hear sort of quote unquote authentic dialogue from women about you know from young women in particular because it's been men writing it and so they don't right. know what it sounds like so they're like oh wow what is this what it is it's like yeah, yeah. if you had let a woman do it it would have sounded like this the whole time yeah and it was uh, sorry it was tough to get like there were many versions of the script and we did a lot of rewriting because it's hard to like really capture the realness and i believe me i love sex in the city like I loved Sex and the City. Well, you're a human being, aren't you? And I'm a human being. I have a heart and two eyes. (laughs) Of course I'm going to love it. But, you know, you could tell that was written by gay men. You know, (laughs) I mean, women and gay men. You know, like like, there was at least, or like the leader, you know, in Michael Patrick King, because there was like, I felt like they talked how we talk, but not really. Right. Like there wasn't like a more, you know, it was a heightened sense of how we talk. Kim Cattrall was always doing poppers. You know, yes, was right. Like, doesn't seem realistic. <laughs> I invented prep this week. <laughs> yeah. um, one of my favorite things about the movie is, and you basically just touched on it, is the camaraderie between the three girls who are determined to lose their virginity is very real. And it sounds like you were determined to establish that. So how did you work with those three specifically to create a dynamic or create something mm-hmm. specific to that film? I'm so lucky because I had one week of rehearsal before we started shooting because I wanted them to spend a lot of time together. And luckily for me, first day of rehearsal, they were fast friends. Like oh, right. That chemistry was just there. And they're still friends now. Like they're like, best friends even after the movie and so it's a real testament to them that they like they really hung out with each other and cared about each other and and when you see them being real on camera that's because that's how they really were with each other oh that's so cool yeah and uh, growing up watching you know teen comedies um i'm thinking of um Molly Ringwald's recent essay in The New Yorker, just about how she revisited The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles, you know, in the sort of Me Too era now. Did you find that you already had some of those same revelations that she did when you watched those films as a teenager, or did they sort of come to you at a later age? Well, first I think Molly Ringwald did a great job at writing that article because she was so fair Mm -hmm. Uh, in her assessment and in her like recall of what happened I thought it was a really great read and I'm happy that she did it because this is the kind of conversations we should be having yeah for those who don't know she just talked specifically you know about the scene where character looks up her skirt bender in uh, the breakfast club yeah and you know she talked about how even though they had to use an adult woman for that scene um, because they probably couldn't film it with her as a minor. They legally could not. They couldn't even ask her, I think. um, She still felt uncomfortable watching it. Um, And she also reached out to another actress in 16 Candles whose character, you know, is implied that they're date-raped. Yeah. Well, my love for John Hughes movies goes deep, and I was very inspired by him. I rewatched Pretty in Pink before shooting Blockers. But I think what Molly brings up, and something that's really great for us to be talking about, is our grappling with, you know, John Hughes was doing something revolutionary back in the day because there weren't movies about teenagers that you Mm -hmm. cared about. There weren't female protagonists of two movies. Like, I wanted to be Molly Ringwald. Like, I I had, like, crazy curly hair, and I cut my (laughs) hair short like hers in The Breakfast Club, and it did not look good. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I came from a small town, you know, without a lot of money, and so when I watched Pretty in Pink, I'm like, wow, okay, like, I just really connected. And so, like Molly says, there's a lot to be proud of when you look back at those movies. But 
what we're doing now is we're look like John Hughes is a product of how he was raised. He mm-hmm. was a part of a culture and us grappling with his potential sexism and, you know, misogynistic, you know, a, a, a stuff. And also like he probably didn't even think that that was date rape. Mm-hmm. He probably that probably wasn't even a thought in his mind. He probably thought, oh, that's funny because that's what, you know, that's from whence he came. And I guess the goal is with a movie like Blockers that 35 years from now, you know, what will people be looking back at this movie and saying, well, wh- how could they do that? Mm-hmm. You know, like I was, you know, the example I'd, I'd give is like vaping. Like, it's like, what if we find out vaping is just like so bad for you? Yeah. And it like, causes like these horrible cancers. <laughs> and it's like, they were making jokes about vaping. You know, like, <laughs> you know I feel like that's what we sh- we need to look back at art and dissect it and understand from whence it came. And what I'm encouraged by is that like, Molly doesn't say that John Hughes was ever inappropriate with her. Like she has a lot of love for him. Mm -hmm. And what she talks about very fairly is his blind spot. Like he had Mm -hmm. this blind spot. And one of the things I thought was super interesting in that piece was how much she had intervened, which she came, she would read scripts and she came to him and, and said, this is not, you need to cut this. This is not appropriate. And I think it really speaks to, we had had that conversation about, white actresses specifically when they're in films with women of color saying you actually have the power to say we need to get paid the same amount and seeing Molly Ringwald being able to make those changes it's like there are a lot of women who are in positions where they can step up and they can say something and really make a difference in in the films that are being made. That is such a great point because I I think a lot about the actresses back in the day and what they went through and the power they didn't feel at all they had and didn't have. Right. I was kind of shocked. I was shocked that Molly's mother spoke up so mm-hmm. strongly as she should and I'm glad that he listened to her you know 85% of the time and there's the one scene he didn't cut right, right. but I, it's so good now knowing that we're heading in the right direction in terms of women getting power and being vocal and mm-hmm. demanding things yes it's just that I take time with female characters <laughs> you know like I write them from my perspective I fig- I try to figure out like what is their comedic worldview what makes them funny what you know give them something to play to actually play and I'll very quickly tell the story I did after I shot blockers I had like a couple weeks of nothing and so I was like you know what? I want to do some like writers roundtables for movies and you know like meet people and I had been kind of away in Atlanta for four months and stuff like that so I did this writers roundtable and the director was there it was for a sequel I'm just going to give you clues and be cagey about it and not tell you who it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I was like, the women were just so underwritten and just didn't get anything, right? And so I was like, well, what makes this person funny? What makes this woman funny? And the director was like, oh, well, she's going to be the emotional, like, he's going to come to her and oh. say all this stuff. Oh, she'll be a conscience on behalf of oh, the whole good. movie. Yeah. You they, don't get say. To, they get to do more work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, oh, but, just, but even like barely, just sit there and listen, basically. And I go, oh, I get that. I understand because this is a movie starring two guys. I, I totally get it. Another clue. Yeah, uh, dang. Uh, and uh, I said, but what makes her funny? Because you can give her more than just being a sounding board. Like, you know, like they're away. She's been on a plane. Maybe she's jet lagged. Maybe she's like taking medication where she's slurring her words. So as she's listening, she's only half listening. And then you can give her jokes. And, you know, like, and his eyes went wide. And he was like, oh, I like the way you think. Like, it's like, oh, because. <laughs> At <I'm>, all? You know, <laughs> But, you know, like he's like an old school director, like, you know, very successful. And it's just getting guys who write or directors who are creating that are men that are telling stories of making them take the time to go like, oh, yeah, like women are funny. Women are interesting. Women can have more than just being the sounding board for a guy. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to the sequel to Throw Mama from the Train. (laughs) I picked up on those clues. Uh, Uh, Kay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yes, and go see the movie Blockers. In theaters now. Thank you. (laughs) And we're back with our favorite part of every episode of Keep It. It's Keep It. I love doing so that. So clever. <laughs> <laughs> We're never starting with Lewis again because he probably wants to talk about, I don't know. I'll let you guess. What white rocker do you have a problem with this week? <laughs> Let's just oh, no. get it over with, actually. <sighs> I hate to say it. Lindsay Correct. Buckingham <laughs> left Fleetwood <laughs> yes. Mac, Lin- isn't it? Lindsay Buckingham left Fleetwood Mac. Well, can I just say something? <laughs> These people are between 70 and 75 years old. Actually, he's he's like 68, I think. 
can't you guys just keep it together? We just want to see you at Madison Square Garden Do pumping we? out the hits okay. with your sharp blazers mm-hmm. and your pashminas mm-hmm. and sad. your white newsboy caps. Yep. I want a pussy pop to dreams. <laughs> it's a very There's good song. a number of words that have just been thrown out in the last minute. I don't even understand any of them. Well, okay, are you familiar with this meme where someone's like, Fleetwood Mac's boring, and then they play Dreams, and it's a cheerleader troupe yes, dance. Okay, I've seen that. can I tell you, that meme doesn't work for me. It's not quite to the beat. Anyway, I've been thinking about that a lot. Lindsay Buckingham. And Lewis is always on the two and the four. That's right. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> always sassing the rhythm. <laughs> I was in Color Guard. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't. Um, here's the thing. Uh, Lindsay Buckingham and Christine McVie put out an album last year, and I love Christine McVie. She's in my coven. We can talk about covens another episode. Oh, dear um, Lord. And here's the thing. I didn't care about that album because it wasn't Fleetwood Mac. Lindsay, just stay with them. We don't have too much of life left with you. Come on. All right. Kara, what are you keeping? So... There is a video, I don't know if it went viral, there's a very popular video that I saw this weekend of a mom going to her gender reveal party for her baby, I guess, and one of her other kids pops the balloon that's filled with the confetti and ruined the party, which was hilarious. And so my keep it is to gender reveal parties just as a whole. Now what about those of us who believe in the binary? Tough shit. Okay. You know, like, actually... You're either a man, a woman, or a Shanti fan. (laughs) The heteronormativeness of it all aside, where, you know, gender is a social construct and all of that, it's just so stupid because no one really... Like, you've announced that you had a baby. That's exciting. Beyond that, until the kid's there, no one's really that interested because the response, right, of, I'm having a boy. Oh, okay. Cool. Actually, wait, we're having a girl. Nice. No one cares then until the kid is actually there. Like, we don't need a party for it. I also learned that apparently people will have gender reveal parties and baby showers, and they will accept gifts at the gender reveal parties, which is the tackiest thing I have ever heard. You don't need two rounds of gifts. You, if you must, pick one of them, if any at all. Frankly. I agree, though. I mean, like, there's something about gender reveal. Like, there need to be stakes in one of them being better than the other. So it just, I can't be like, I can't be like thrilled for you both ways. Like, you're right. you're inviting me to be thrilled for you. Sorry, no. But most parents don't tell me to be happy. Most parents are going to be happy either way. So yeah, it's right. like, oh my gosh, a girl. That's what we wanted. A boy. That's what we also wanted. We just want a healthy baby. Then why are we all here watching you cut into this stupid ass cake? <laughs> we should go to more parties and just yell, "Why are we here?" At Honestly, strangers. I want to go. To gender reveal parties and like stick my hand in the cake and be like look the it's pink you're having a girl and then just leave <laughs> pop those balloons everyone go to gender reveal parties and ruin them that's what these people deserve can frankly. i say ruined cakes are like a hallmark of comedy and i hope it never goes away <laughs> just like faces in cakes cakes being thrown see that's a comedy bit that never offends anybody right no i think fuller house is just 35 gay- minute food fights <laughs> what's a gay cake right yeah. see there we are you can't have that no and no gender reveal parties. Yeah, not in Jeff Sessions' America. <laughs> My Keep It is about... Um, you look sheepish Yeah, right now. what's happening? It's a little something I watched on Sunday. Something that happened in WrestleMania. I can leave so fast, this studio. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a window, I would wildly coyote out of it. <laughs> Go on. We let you literally read passages from your diary about Karen Carpenter. So you're going to sit through this. All right. Suplex me. Here we go. All right. I actually thought WrestleMania was very good this year. Um, There is a Irish wrestler named Finn Balor who has embraced the LGBTQ community. And he came out, you know, with members of the community from New Orleans um, where WrestleMania was. And he has, you know rainbow gear and he's selling rainbow shirts that are going you know the proceeds are going to glad so i like that um and he's a straight person he's a straight person okay okay yes but also there was um a fantastic match between two wrestlers this is a real long intro i'm sorry charlotte flair (laughs) and asuka who are two really great female wrestlers probably two of the most athletic wrestlers like in the WWE in general. They were like the second match of the night, which was sort of like a throwaway. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to be the main event. And this is the second year in a row where the women's match was the best match of the year, and it was not the main event. And 
I'm pressed about it. No, first of all, is this the thing where Ronda Rousey was also there? Ronda Rousey was there. Her match could have been the main event, too. It was really good. The last lady-on-lady fight I valued was in is the Is that har- what it's called? In, in the Heartbreaker video, when Mariah oh. is against Mariah Ooh. in the bathroom. Ooh, that, that's or, good. do you remember how 3LW, the girl group, broke up? <laughs> they were at KFC and got into an actual food fight again, which is the new theme of the episode. So that I root for. Ira, I don't know what you just said. I don't know. If either. it pertained to reality at all, <laughs> I don't know what you kept or where you're going to keep it. Can't be at my house. But thank you, I think. Well, you know what? I am also outraged by the match being <laughs> second. Yeah, you know what? You two need to let light into your life, as Nelson Mandela said. <laughs> Don't be quoting Nelson yeah. Mandela oh, okay. around this. All right. He is not here to defend himself. I was quoting Jax Taylor's Reiki therapist on <laughs> Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> well, that's been Keep It. I promise to never talk about wrestling on this show again. <laughs> you did a good job. Until next year when WrestleMania rolls around. <laughs> Thanks again to Kay for joining us today. That's Keep It. We'll see you next week. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 